Hello, and welcome again to another conservative historian podcast. This one entitled, Haley is not going to be Trump's running mate. The date is December 2023, and my name is A.D. Tippett. I do not propose to be buried until I am dead. Senator Daniel Webster turning down the vice presidency in 1839. I am vice president. In this I am nothing, but I may be everything. John Adams, elected vice president, 1788 and 1792. I will never run against our president, she said. He has done an outstanding job. To which I responded, how nice of you to say, Nikki, knowing full well that her words mean nothing. She even came to Mar-a-Lago with her family, bearing gifts. Anyway, Birdbrain doesn't have the talent or temperament to do the job. Donald J. Trump A major party's nominee selection criteria have changed throughout the history of the republic. Prior to the 1803 passage of the 12th Amendment, our first few presidents had no choice in their eventual VPs. Until the 1804 election, the person with the second most electoral votes would be named VP. Thus, John Adams got stuck with his political enemy, Thomas Jefferson, and Jefferson, in turn, had to manage with Aaron Burr as his number two. Quick aside. Burr was the sitting vice president when he killed Alexander Hamilton. This is akin to Kamala Harris shooting Stephen Mnuchin in a duel. Now, I'm not saying that that Harris would shoot a man, just speculating, of course. This would be Harris's explanation of dueling. Dueling is when two people, a duo, attempt to harm one another in a dueling, duel fashion. There are also seconds, but distinguish these seconds from the original duelists. There are two seconds, another duo, and they are part of the duel. The purpose of the Twelfth Amendment was to separate the elections, which meant that a president might still get stuck, though, with a VP not to his liking. One example included John Quincy Adams, who had to deal with Thomas Calhoun. With such weighty figures as Adams and Andrew Jackson already running for president, Calhoun decided to run for VP and wait for a more suitable opportunity to go for the bigger job. Adams and Calhoun agreed politically on very few issues and had a tense relationship, which only deteriorated during the administration. Realizing the contention this process caused, Andrew Jackson, after also enduring Calhoun as his vice president, decided in 1832 to run as a pair with the Democratic nominee for vice president, Martin Van Buren, a close ally of Jackson. The election saw the first use of the presidential nominating conventions, and the Democrats, National Republicans, and the anti-Masonic party all used these events to select their candidates. Then, in the election of 1836, Van Buren ran in tandem with Richard M. Johnson, winning and further cementing the concept of a ticket. By the next election in 1840, sloganeering touted the pair. War of 1812 hero William Henry Harrison ran with John Tyler with the phrase, 
Tippecanoe and Tyler II, the former having been a battle won by Harrison. Later, nominees would begin with the necessary political calculations that they felt would enhance the ticket to garner the most votes. One example fraught with disaster was Lincoln's selection of Andrew Johnson in place of the northerner from Maine, Hannibal Hamlin, who ran with Lincoln in 1860. Johnson was not only a southerner from Tennessee, but was pro-unionist and a Democrat, Lincoln was a Republican, to boot. Lincoln felt that adding Johnson would assist with reconciling the southern states after having lost the war. In reality, after Lincoln's assassination, Johnson put in place a blatantly pro-Southern program that was vehemently opposed by the radical Republicans, then in control of Congress. I have commented more extensively on the vice president in my podcast titled The Vice Presidential Choice Throughout U.S. History and have linked it into the transcript. I will not capture the details here except for two quotes. John Nance Garner, Franklin Roosevelt's first VP, saying that the job was not worth a warm bucket of piss. And there is the John Adams reference to being nothing but could be everything, which makes the job of such importance. As little as vice presidents do, think about that everything that Adams referred to. Because of the 46 presidents thus far, eight have succeeded due to the death of a president and one, Gerald Ford, upon a resignation. But there is also the nothing aspect of the job. Remember that guy who we'd mentioned who ran with Martin Van Buren? I like to think of a pretty knowledgeable guy about American history. I had to look up who Martin Van Buren's vice president was. Our VPs, with the possible exception of Dick Cheney and the George W. Bush administration, well, they go to funerals and they talk to school children about science, badly in the case of Harris, in my opinion. And that is about it. Though the core of this podcast is history, I certainly engage in the practice of political commentary. If a presidential election contest were a meal, though, the election of 2024 is starting to seem less like Thanksgiving, a, a sumptuous feast involving turkey, cream corn pudding, and pumpkin pie, and more, this would be 2024, and more Oliver Twist-like watery gruel. In the 1992 presidential election, we had an incumbent with decades of experience, a scion of a long-time political family who had just won a significant war, paired against a young, brash Southerner who played saxophone on late-night TV, and for additional spice, we threw in H. Ross Perot, a businessman running as a tough third-party candidate. This year, we will not have a decorated long-term senatorial maverick versus a youngish African-American, as in 2008. Instead, we have an incumbent who is doddering and ineffectual old man versus a former president who incited a Capitol Hill riot, thinks it is okay to assault women sexually, and labels fellow Americans as vermin. This candidate has also suggested that immigrants bring poisonous blood to our republic. 
Aside from the simple fact that we are all descended from immigrants, even Native American ancestors came over the land bridge from Asia, the obvious connotation of this statement should probably be disqualifying alone. We have an impasse in which the Democratic power brokers are afraid of giving away the power of incumbency and the Republican base of primary voters have lost their minds. So, with this as a background, political pundits need something, anything else to talk about. Rather than the apparent disqualification of one candidate on account of age and the other of insanity. This brings us to Nikki Haley. Though Biden would have done well to dispense with Kamala Harris, he cannot drop a woman of color in this version of the Democratic Party. So his choice of VP is set. Despite his obsequious behavior through the four years of the Trump presidency, Mike Pence found his inner conservatism and American values voice on January 6, 2021, and did his duty in not contesting Biden's electoral victory in Congress. Now, rhino is a favorite Trump smear that ostensibly means a person who does not employ the traditional conservative values of the GOP. Yet, come on, in Trump's case, the guy who wishes to nationalize education and desires to be dictator for the day is not a conservative. So in reality, rhino equals a lack of slavish devotion to Trump. Pence's actions on January 6th qualify him for the rhino tag and thus disqualifying him from the running mate slot he held in 2016 and 2020. So Biden's choice is locked in. It's going to be Harris. But Trump's is wide open. Thus the opening and speculation around Nikki Haley assuming the GOP tickets underside. Now, there's been speculation for years that Trump would run with a woman. And so every prominent GOP female who is not on Trump's naughty list, looking at you, Liz Cheney, seems to qualify. Speculation has run from failed Arizona governor candidate Carrie Lake to successfully elected South Dakota governor Kristi Noem to congressperson Elise Stefanik. Now there is Haley. The concept of selecting an electoral rival for a running meet has been introduced previously. Lyndon B. Johnson ran against John F. Kennedy for the Democratic nomination before being named running mate in 1960. And one of the goals of this edition was to add a Southerner to the ticket. Remember, Kennedy was from Massachusetts. So Kennedy's winning of Johnson's native state of Texas, which tipped the election, proved the worth of that choice. George H.W. Bush ran against Reagan in 1980 before assuming the second place on the ticket. Reagan was assumed to be a cowboy and maybe even a bit too conservative. The thinking was the more moderate Bush would bring balance. Not only would Haley be the first female GOP nominee on a ticket since 2008 when Sarah Palin ran, but unlike that, one-year governor of one of the smallest states, population-wise, in the Union, Haley brings a wealth of experience. She was a conservative two-term governor of South Carolina and then later served Trump himself as ambassador to the United Nations. Candidates rarely possess both domestic and foreign policy experience. She has both. She is poised and articulate on the stump, and she can even serve up the women of color card as her parents are of Indian descent. So what's not to like? This should be a slam dunk, right? 
Yet the GOP's national record since 2016, the year Trump took over the place, is one and four. In that one, the one win, was against arguably the most odious politician of our time. Yes, that would be Hillary Rodham Clinton. In 2022, the nation was concerned with crime, immigration, inflation, foreign wars, and just about any issue you could think of. And poll after poll showed deep dissatisfaction with the Democrats. But after Trump started to handpick candidates to his liking, Lake included, the result was losing the Senate again and switching six House seats for a tiny majority. Now, let's look at this in contrast with the supposed rhino years. In 2010, the House GOP caucus picked up 63 seats. And keep in mind that year was not a doddering old man, but the vigorous, vital Barack Obama. And in 2014, the GOP picked up nine Senate seats, cementing a Senate that overturned Roe v. Wade. You see, Trump has an uncanny knack for snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. The fact that Haley makes so much sense might in and of itself be a check against her in the bizarro world of politics that we now inhabit. But there's much more. When Trump selected Pence, he was trying to kill more than a few birds. Trump is a libertine, or worse, a, a serial sexual assaulter. Pence is famous as a family man, castigated, castigated for not having one-on-one -on -one dinners with female employees. The horror. I love how in a time of Harvey Weinstein and Jeffrey Epstein, this is somehow seen as a negative. Pence was an old Washington hand who knew his way around the corridors of power. Before his 2016 win, Trump's only political experience was a failed run in 2000 on the Reform Party ticket. So there you go. Pence made sense. He brought evangelical chops and experience. But I feel there was another more incisive reason for Trump's selection. Think of the others running for the GOP nomination in 2016 who could have been his running mate. Trump could have selected another firebrand in Ted Cruz, who could also help with the Washington experience thing. Carly Fiorina may have afforded a more significant share of women. There was Marco Rubio for the Hispanic vote. And though Chris Christie has done an about-face on Trump in 2023, seven years ago, he took out Rubio for Trump, and his behavior was basically syncophantic, as Christie coveted a cabinet post. Instead, Trump went with Pence, who notably was not running for president in 2016. Pence did not see himself as a direct rival to Trump in that year. And also, there's this fun website called Personality Political. And this captures, at least in my opinion, Pence reasonably well. This is their descriptor of Pence. Pence may be described as a dutiful conformist personality type with a conscientious deliberator leadership style. Other descriptors include accommodating, cooperative, congenial, retiring, and reserved. In other words, the complete and utter yin to Trump's loud, boastful, narcissistic yang. For 50 years now, we have had the Donald Trump show. It's not the Ivana and Don show or prodding with the Trumps in which Eric or Ivanka have equal roles. Not only has Trump been crewman from the Jim Carrey movie, but Trump knew the cameras were on and craved the attention. His life has been a reality TV show until he actually hosted one. 
And in that, sure, there were two other judges, including at one point his daughter Ivanka, but they rotated in and out. Trump was always the main man. Trump is, well, he's Harold Hill from The Music Man, without Marion Librarian, the townsfolk, or Iowa. Trump's show is like two and a half men if the promiscuous Charlie were alone and had no brother or nephew. He is Elder Price from the musical Book of Mormon, but instead of mostly me, the song is only me. Many people think he went with Pence because he was experienced and evangelical. Those were bonuses. He went with him because Pence is low-key and was ready for the obsequious, on-demand attitude that works with Trump. Now, it is not that Trump does not like loud people. There was a time when he liked Christie well enough. Don Jr. is no shrinking violet. Instead, it is that the megaphone must always be in service to Trump, not to the ambitions of any around him. Note how Lake and Nome have faded from consideration because both carry their ambition on their sleeves for themselves, and that will not do. And here are a few Nikki Haley quotes. I wear heels, and it's not for a fashion statement, it's ammunition. Also, I encourage people to find and use the power of their voices just as much when I do not agree with those voices as when I do agree with them. This all sounds like typical rhetoric, and it could come from many female politicians. But coming from an ex-two-term governor, an ex-ambassador to the UN, and a woman who is currently besting all of the men in the GOP primary, with the notable exception of who was not on the stage, it sounds different. It sounds like someone who is in it for herself. There are also two aspects of Trump's choice in 2024 that will be very different from his considerations in 2016. Though if anyone were trying to negate the 25th Amendment, it would be Donald Trump, but thinking that is one institution too far. So he is a one-termer. And though Trump probably is of the I will live forever crowd, even he must acknowledge that the candles on his birthday cake could start a raging inferno if he is not careful. Those two factors, both the fact that he's a one-termer and his age, means whoever he chooses will be positioned for a run in 2028 from the get-go, or thinking of assuming the office even sooner. If you do not think the nothing-to-everything move has occurred to Kamala Harris, I want to talk to you about a beautiful piece of real estate in Manhattan's Upper East Side. And it is the same with the overweight 78-year-old former president. So instead of the low-key dog on a leash just happy to be out for a walk with its master Pence type, Haley will be more like a husky pulling at the cord, trying to break free and make her own way. She might initially toe the line in the first year or two, but second terms are always lame duck ones, which is why, for the past 50 years, the big stuff, except for Reagan, of course, tends to happen in the first. Knowing he has just the one term, Trump will be even more conscious that the spotlight stays on him. And then there's the contention that Haley's been very weak in directly attacking Trump, which is supposed to be some sign. In a normal pre-Trump era, front-runner who had 91 indictments was successfully sued in court for groping a woman in a store or who called his fellow Americans vermin would generate attack ad after attack ad. 
Only Christie, though, attacks Trump, and the rest do not for two reasons. The first is that if a successful presidential bid will have to form some accommodation with the 20 to 30 percent of hardcore Trump supporters, the mega block. The second is that Trump is the classic schoolyard bully, complete with pejorative infantile nicknames. Better to let others earn his wrath, lest he come for your lunch money. For all the crap that Ron DeSantis has taken, DeSanctimonious, Meatball Ron, again, these names alone should disqualify Trump. They're not even good schoolyard nicknames. DeSantis has not punched back as hard or as often as a typical campaign would entail. That is because, in my belief, RDS is really aiming for 2028. And yet, as I was recording this podcast, a super PAC that supports Haley made a direct attack on Trump. Why now, and why this vehicle? Now, super PACs are interesting things. Technically known as independent, expenditure-only committees, super PACs may raise unlimited sums of money from corporations, unions, associations, and individuals, and then spend unlimited sums to advocate for or against political candidates overtly. Unlike traditional PACs, super PACs are prohibited from donating money directly to political candidates, and their spending must not be coordinated with that of the candidates they benefit. They advocate for a candidate, but are not of the candidate, and are considered separate from the formal campaign. Haley can publicly exert as much or as little control over these as she wants. She can tell Mega, I'm oh, so sorry, the boys just got out of control. I didn't really mean those things. Unless her poll numbers go up, of course. Were that to happen, the Trump attacks might begin to resemble something more normal. Which is another reason Trump will not select her. I may make this distinction per Haley's formal campaign in her super PAC. You may as well. Mega might even make that distinction, but Trump will not. So for these reasons, Haley will not get the role. A better selection from Haley's home state might be Tim Scott, who has the right demeanor for what Trump wants. He would be happy to be along for a ride and never want to grab the wheel. But Scott is not a woman, and he has shown his hand by running for the nomination in the first place. You know, the one that Trump believes is his by right. We will eventually see a deferential GOP woman whose every utterance will accrue to the benefit of Donald Trump and nothing about her worth. Maybe Stefanik. It will not be Haley. Someday, perhaps in 2028, Nikki Haley might be everything. But that will not come in a run with Donald J. Trump. Thank you for listening to this latest of The Conservative Historian. Please check out all of our podcasts and thanks for listening again.